Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast with me, Steve Hall. I'm delighted to say I'm joined this week by Henry Winter, uh, the chief football writer of the Times, uh, currently quarantining in a hotel room in Iceland. Uh, gladly given up his time to join us, so Henry, thank you. Um, how's quarantine life? My pleasure. You've got me all day. I haven't got much else to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I promise I won't keep you that long. I'm sure uh, the hotel room looks lovely from what I can see on Zoom. Um, so Henry, the, the basis of this podcast, obviously I like to speak to people who work in different roles within sports media, um, just to get, give people a feel of, of what it's like, etc. Now, you've been doing this for quite a while now, um, whether it's pre-from reporting right up to where you're you know, being stuck in a hotel room in, in Iceland. Um, I want to ask you first, obviously you've been, you've been someone who's worked in this business through the different eras. Um, the perspective I get now is that this modern era, you know, with social media and with so much content out there, it seems quite a, a challenging role. Does, does it feel more challenging to you now that we're in a, in a world where, you know, rather than someone writing an article, there's a tweet sent straight away, you know, that kind of thing? Has this felt more difficult to you? No, it hasn't felt more difficult. It's felt more liberating. Okay. I think if you look at the uh, the options that we've got now, I mean, you know, you mentioned that you, you very kindly uh, said I've been around a little bit. I've been around a long time. I mean, I've been doing this for 35 years now. I started out in 85 and, um, you know, I was going to matches then and you were literally having to run out and knock on a neighbor's door and say, can I use your phone to, to file my copy through? And so it's a, comp- you know, it's a completely different world. The technology now, I mean, that, the, the iPhone, I mean, it's just... It's just, it's just brilliant because I can film it, I can record on it, I can tweet on it. I've done outlines for, 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 for books or notes in there, you know, just sort of ideas of, if, you know, I'm stuck at an airport. Your generation, the gener- my kids' generation, they're so fortunate coming through in terms of the, uh, the technology. You can do a podcast from your back room. Zoom, I mean, obviously everything's being accelerated over, you know, the unfortunate circumstances of the last six months. But the technology we've got now is, is just phenomenal. I mean, I'm out here in Iceland and from my little prison cell stroke hotel room in quarantine, I've I had a Zoom with um, Danny Ings and Dean Henderson yesterday who were training at St. George's Park. I've just been on the phone. I can record things on my phone. I've just done an interview with Goodney Bergson, ex-Bolton Spurs, current president of the Icelandic FA. The freedom that journalists have now is, is fantastic. And also, I think the fact that, in a way, everyone, I mean, you'll have seen this. Everyone's a journalist nowadays, citizen journalism. I mean, you've, you've seen it with so many of the sort of the graphic footage that's come out of certain events. It's not taken by film crews. It's taken by pedestrians walking across i mean it's you know it's a horrific event but events at london bridge all these events they're all being captured by so rather than people thinking that journalism's in decline i think it's absolutely the opposite i think the technology has helped the fact that everyone's now got a platform has helped i mean like i mean like i got to know marcus rashford vaguely well and he uses social media brilliantly for putting pressure on the government for composing letters and sending it out to, uh, to to MPs so I just think it's I mean I embrace it you know you can be negative and you can say oh they're trolls on social media I've never blocked anyone I've, I mean I, the information I get from fans on social media if I've got something wrong in an article or they don't agree with my my view on on Liverpool or Manchester United City Arsenal Spurs whoever 
I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's like having, it's like being in a permanent conversation with a lot of people who know a lot more about individual clubs and subjects and players than I do. And they're giving me their information. So technology, the fact that more people are involved, I think it's been, I think it's fantastic. So no, I, if anything, I feel liberated. Yeah, rightly so. Um, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned there about, you know, you've been doing interviews and all, all this kind of stuff by Zoom. And, and you talk about the, the positives of, of social media. Um, would you say that players now, though, on the flip side, that are probably because of, you mentioned camera phones and you mentioned tweeting and stuff, maybe a bit more guarded, where, like you mentioned, if you started in the 90s, or, or um, because, like you say, someone like Marcus Rashford seems very, very open. Is, is, is the account balance there? Obviously, people are... We've seen, for example, what's happened to Harry Maguire recently where he got caught in a situation that maybe is a bit different where, where say, for example, Marcus Rashford is doing positive things with social media. Have you, is there a balance there to be struck on which side of the scale do you think we currently sit at? I mean, I've... I've I mean, maybe... It's, look, I'm fortunate I've been doing it a long time. We've built up sort of contacts, relationships. I know it's an organisation, an umbrella organisation in terms of the Times, which has a which has a good reputation. Pretty much, it's not a clickbait place. I've never worked in a place where I would consider clickbait. At eight years at the Independent, twenty one, twenty two at the uh, the Telegraph, and now I've had five years at the Times. Been very fortunate with the people I've worked for and with. Um, I found players, but let's, let's take lockdown. You mentioned lockdown. I probably did about 40, 50 interviews during lockdown on Zoom, on the phone with players. So I ran out Marcus Rashford, you know, one of these people that I know. And I said, listen, I know Marcus is about to announce all these things about the breakfast, you know, the, 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 the school meals, such an important issue. Can I have 10 minutes on the phone with him? Have about 15 minutes on the phone with him in the end. Um, so many people talk to, I'm not, I've actually gained quite a few phone numbers, not Rashford's, but a lot of managers' phone numbers, Premier League managers, players. I think also because and social media has accelerated in a way, it's slightly strange way, it strengthened what you would call sort of traditional media in that people want to get their messages out there. People have got foundations. People are doing things. You know, it's it's not simply a plague. I mean, say take Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson does an amazing amount of work, and he is the last person to to, to talk about it. Um, and he's actually quite difficult to get him to talk about. You know, the foundations who work, that the you know the the, uh, the Christmas party he ran with his wife for for for, um, for sort of vulnerable kids in the in the Liverpool area. Um, so he's probably not the best example of it in terms of wanting to get the message out there. He does brilliant things. But there are players that you talk to who part of, A, they want to do good, but also it's about getting the message out there, whether it's about hospice. So take um, Jay Rodriguez at, at Burnley. I rang him up uh, during lockdown and said, listen, there's a lot of issues about hospices. I know you're involved in Pendleside. Hospice, really important hospice. Just talk me through it. And then we sort of talk about what it meant to him, the whole COVID issue, his relationship with his grandfather who passed away in there. And then we sort of talked about sort of Burnley and, and the sort of the art of striking. So I found this generation of footballers, because they're so used to putting things out into the public domain on social media, on, on Facebook, actually I found them really sort of open up and talk to, uh, to, to sort of the journalists, the journalists that they trust even more. So, um, no, I, I, some people say it's quite a negative period um but actually i've i've it's been an astonishing year and it's been a very 
extraordinary year and ultimately everyone you talk to they they want to get their message over to say thanks to the nhs thanks to the key workers and i think you know if i can sort of then pass that on uh to you know in in a piece then then great so no i think it's been i think with technology and i think i think i mean i deal a lot with england gareth southgate before the world cup he decided to take the tension out of the relationship between the fans and the um, and the players. I remember it was only a couple of years ago that England's fans were turning their back on the England team in um, uh, in uh, in Malta and going back into town. And Southgate's turned that all around, and he's used the media. He's got the players like Raheem Sterling. You know, I've been over to Raheem Sterling's house and talked to him about what it's life is like in the uh, spotlight but also sort of technical tactical things how he's developed and it's brilliant i'm so not in awe but i mean i I so admire this younger generation of how they're going out telling their stories and changing the world rashford is saving lives raheem sterling with the work he's doing um on um diversity diversity in in our industry raheem's already made a huge impact on that trent alexander arnold and our for others the work that he does on merseyside helping out it's a very conscientious, socially responsible generation, plus also who are very savvy with social media. And they use the media, they use journalists like me, to, which is fine to get their message out there. So uh, I actually think we're in a very good place. It's, uh, it's, it's refreshing, actually, to, and from my point of view, to hear someone speaking so positively, actually, about the industry. Because, like I say, I have obviously not on the, on the podcast, but I've other conversations elsewhere where people have been a bit downbeat. But... You do seem very positive, and I think that's a, a welcome change, actually. Is that something that you've noticed? I'm not asking you to name names, but in the business as a whole, you mentioned earlier about there are some people who have looked at things the other way, where when it used to be more of a tighter band, so for example, there might only be four, five, six outlets, where you've now mentioned and everybody's phone is now an outlet. It's nice that you see that as a positive, but I'm not sure, you, I mean, feel free to tell me I'm wrong, that the whole industry sees that as a positive, would that be fair? I think it's great because there's so many more platforms now. Yeah. I mean, there's some brilliant podcasts. You've got your great podcast. There's some fantastic podcasts out there. I mean, I was, you know, I grew up with a fanzine era and I was slightly disappointed that that, you know, the fanzine era, you know, we've lost a lot of great titles that I grew up, which were launch pads for a lot of really good uh, writers who've gone on and, and done amazing things in the, in, in, you know, in, in football journalism. I think that's now coming through with podcasts. I mean, I don't consider myself as a print journalist. I consider, you know, I do, you know, I do a fair bit on social media. I've written books. I'm writing film scripts at the moment. I mean, the word is the word is the word. And journalism and good reporting is the same, whether you're doing it for your back room on a podcast or whether you're doing it in in the front row of the press box, uh, Old Trafford or Anfield. It's fairly you know, straightforward. You're telling a narrative. The different ways of telling that narrative, you know, mechanical things, you would have a different version being a, being a broadcaster. You would have sort of certain skill sets there than, than maybe someone who is going to go and write a book. But I, I love the different challenges of trying to get a thought and trying to get a story, almost a story, or certainly a reflection of a, an event that's happened in front of me over in a, whatever it is, 200 and, what is it, 280 character t- character tweet and then maybe long form writing against the clock to do it in 1300 words if you're at a world cup final or filming something on the way into the ground i mean my my iphone 
um, other phones are available, but my iPhone takes an absolute battering because of the uh, because I what this is what I use it for. I tweet loads of pictures, and what I use it um, not really secret this, but I will always when I'm going into a ground, I'll always take a picture of the ground on the outside as I'm going in two hours before. Because if you take a picture of the ground on the inside, every, you know two hours before kickoff, everyone's going oh they've got no fans. So if you take a picture of it on the outside. And I say, oh, I'm going in to watch I know, Manchester United against Manchester City, big derby, um, whatever. And the reaction I'll get from people, from Manchester City fans, from Manchester United fans, some of them will be telling me I'm a whatever. But, but quite a few of them will actually be saying, oh, we're really looking at seeing is he going to play three at the back four, but is, is he going to play a four tonight, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly positive about this uh, th this era there are just so many more platforms yeah for sure you mentioned earlier i want to touch on it now you're obviously you're, you're quarantining in iceland because you're about to obviously watch and report on england duty uh, back in the nations league um you mentioned just before about gareth southgate trying to lift the mood around the england team and i've heard plenty of journalists like yourself and, and your colleagues mention that you know that they're being more open and there's you know at the world cup there was a dars the dars tournament that kind of thing is that and I know you roll your eyes there for people who can't see, but is that, have you felt that consciously? I, I hear loads of you guys say, you know, it feels a bit more open, it feels a bit nicer atmosphere. Is that actually, is that actually true? Is that something that you can tangibly feel being, because like you said, you've been doing this for a long time, following England all over the globe. Can you definitely yeah, feel I mean, that now? I mean, I sent Gareth the text when he got the job and said, listen, good luck. Um, obviously, <laughs> they, you know, there they, they will be criticism, but you know, Good luck. And I mean, I wrote, I wrote a book on England and one of the things was kind of the weight of the shirt, the fear of the media, there were issues on our side, um, issues on, on the player side. But actually, I think that's gone now. I'm just, it's been a happy confluence of players being more confident on social media, getting their message out there. They're a very empowered generation. I mean, if I look at, say, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Tyrone Mings, players like that, they're, they're not simply great sportsmen. I think they're great. They're great role models. They're great leaders. I mean, you know, they're people have far more faith in Marcus Rashford's view of the world than they do of probably 99% of politicians. So I think they, you know, they're a very confident generation, um, empowered. They were, they were, I think they were, that generation came through and was, was willing to, was willing to talk. Um, Gareth went over to the Super Bowl, saw how the, they did it. I think the players quite like the idea of a sort of media open day Super Bowl style because a lot of them have affinities with American sports. We did it at, I mean, some of us have been calling it for, for a while. And we did it at, at the FA, organised it brilliantly at um, St. George's Park about two weeks before we flew out to Russia. And there was a clock in the middle, a sort of countdown clock, and it was set at now and... I mean, the FA, I think, were assuming that every player would step up from his seat, all 23 players, and leave the moment that the buzzer went. But, you know, Raheem Sterling, Kieran Trippi in particular, had, you know, chats with them afterwards. And that little bit of small talk, that breaking down of the barriers, um, I think also, I think it's fair to say that as younger journalists coming in, um, I think that's probably helped as well. I mean, I probably lived through three generations of, of, of different reporters. Um, and I, I actually, I look around the press box now and there's such talent there. 
I mean, I really, you know, I'm not just saying this, I really absolutely have to keep on my toes because of the equality, because of the quality of individuals coming through, like whether it's Jonathan Liu at The Guardian, whether it's Mick Delaney at, uh, at The Independent, whether you agree with what they, their views all the time. They're great writers, they've got a profile. I think, I think it's fantastic that they're coming through. And it was interesting because someone mentioned the other day, oh, you must be disappointed that the Sunday Supplement isn't, isn't continuing. I'm looking around. There's so many different platforms for, for people. I mean, I probably should have my own podcast. I've got a YouTube channel, but I'm too lazy to use it. I tend to put things out on social media. So, you know, and I'm, I'm one of the Luddites, one of the old farts of, of the industry, <laughs> probably one of, you know, the, the oldest, definitely one of the oldest in the, uh, in the press box. Um, but there's this great generation of new young talent. Now, look, the industry as I'm sure if you talk to other journalists, is not without its problems. We've seen cutbacks even before COVID put aside through parts of the industry. You're looking at what's happening at regional newspapers at the moment. I mean, really good, talented, experienced journalists, trusted journalists by their, their local clubs. They're going because the accountants and because of the effects of COVID and because of issues with, um, with circulation anyway. So listen... I'm in an incredibly fortunate position because I'm at the Times and we are very strong financially and editorially. We're in a good place with the app, um, even if the circulation is, is still declining, as it is with all newspapers. Um, but so, that, you know, there are issues. I do slightly worry about where people are going to go. I think some will go into PR. Some will. I mean, the, the club world is very good. I mean, I get uh, emails and tweets and all the time and people coming up outside grounds when fans were able to go into grounds about where should they go? And I said, try club media because, you know, particularly for promoted clubs, they, you know, they often double their staff because, because of the whole huge social media, like Arsenal, obviously well-established Premier League club, you know, they've got someone who works probably more than one person who works full time on their, on their Chinese language output. Social media is now so huge, but I don't see that putting something out on social media is any different between me writing 1300 words in one of the, you know, the oldest, most established newspapers in the world. It's all about getting the message out. But again, coming back to the earlier point about, you know, it's just different avenues. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, in terms of, you mentioned there were clubs having their own media brands. I agree with you. I think that is where the industry is going a lot. And you mentioned American sports. I think American sports are really good at this where they have their own media branches is that something you, you see continuing? For example, I'm a Liverpool supporter and Liverpool have got their own TV channel, their own YouTube channel. They put documentaries out on Twitter. They've got everything going. Is that how you see it? Because personally, my point of view is I see it becoming that where that, that industry is just going to grow and grow, whether it, not, not even in football, just across all sports. Is that something you agree with, that that's going to get bigger? Maybe as newspaper circulation dwindles a bit, it might be that, that where, like you mentioned, that's where the, the growth comes well, there seems to be a desire to sort of dance on the grave of newspapers and the whole sort of go and buy a coffee thing that I saw on social yeah. media. But actually, if I look on social media, the people whose voices I trust most to give me the best views and the best insights on Liverpool are Paul Joyce at The Times, yeah. uh, Dom King at The Mail, Andy Hunter at The Guardian, um, partly because they've got a very good relationship with the club. So... I just think their their words will be coming out increasingly in I mean I think there will still be a you know a physical times in in 5 years time 
um, but, you know, but obviously online, the app, the website, iPads, whatever, phone. I mean, my, my kids' generation will, will consume their news on that, on something small. Yeah. So, so that's the, the world we're going into. In terms of coming back to the clubs, um, you know, a lot of them want control over their content, but I, but I also find that, I mean, Arsenal are difficult. But I would say most of the, the clubs, if you've got a relationship with them, if they trust you and they trust your organization and the Times is pretty trusted, um, they'll, they'll, they'll allow you to spend time with the players. I mean, they, you know, they won't babysit their players. I don't think they think that's, I think one or two clubs do, but I think they trust you. And they also, I mean, I've, I've had it with Liverpool. One of their players, this was a couple of years back, said something and, um, the club just rang me up afterwards and, and just said, oh, we just had a chat with him and he was slightly worried that he might have said something which was slightly critical. And of course, you, you, you tone something like that down. It's not going to destroy the piece. And, you, you know, it's out of respect for, for the club and the person you interview. But also, I mean, I, I find, and a lot of journalists find this, that clubs call on journalists from out with their, uh, their parish. So, right, so, I mean, I've done, I did a piece, on, I think, on Jordan Henderson for the Liverpool website. I don't get paid for that. I want money for that. It's because I, I like the club and I've got a huge amount of time for Jordan Henderson. If it takes me two hours to write, you know, a thousand word piece sort of saying what a good guy and good player Jordan Henderson is, even though I voted for Kevin De Bruyne, as Liverpool fans keep telling me as footballer of the year, um, th- th- then I'll do that. I've just done something for Chelsea's, you know, it, you know, um, club media on, on Frank Lampard. I've done stuff for, for, for Arsenal on their, um, their multi-language scheme. Um, so I just, I don't think there's a, there's a wall there. I do think some clubs, obviously they want to control um, their own media, but then more and more players now, I mean, I'll, I'll get DMs from players saying, I have one from an England player this, you know, a couple of days ago, just A, pointing out certain issues, but also saying, you know, want to do a piece with you. So, look, we work fine with the clubs. If, if I do a piece with a, with a player which hasn't been set up by, um, by the club and probably about half of the pieces I do haven't been set up by the club, I'll always message the, uh, the, the, the club just before publication just to give them a heads up, just out of courtesy. And also because so many, like Matt McGann at uh, Liverpool, He's probably the best, I mean, it's, you know, how do you compare? But I mean, I think most journalists would say he's the best director of communications um, because he trusts people. Because if you get a, not a bollocking, because Matt doesn't really give bollockings, but if he points out you've, you've done something wrong, you absolutely take it on board because it's from Matt, because I respect him so much. So I actually think that, I mean, some clubs do want to, you know, have their own have their players talk only to club media but actually players talk through agents players talk directly to journalists players have social media instagram they're out there anyway yeah for sure um you mentioned earlier i'll come back to you you've been you've wrote plenty of books and you're continuing to do that now um i know you obviously again going back to liverpool you've you've got help go through plenty of liverpool players books in the past is that something that you still enjoy that you're still continuing to do because I've read most of them, if not all of them. But again, it's in a, in a in an era where I, I find it difficult sometimes. With or some people, I find it difficult to sit down and write ten thousand words. Is that something that you that still motivates you? Still gives you great pleasure because there's nothing better for me than reading a, a really good autobiography. I think it's something I still enjoy. Is that the feeling yeah. that you get as well? 
I mean, I, I don't sleep that much. I, I mean, five hours is, is, is ample for me. So uh, with books, um, I mean, I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and write till, till 10 on the book. I mean, it depends. I mean, if you, I mean, say I did one with Stephen Gerrard and I probably had about 24, 25 hours with Stephen at his house, the, the first book he, he did yeah. uh, in 2006, seven. Um, and he was, because, you know, Stevie, I mean, he is a, because he speaks, he speaks so well. He speaks like he plays. There's value in everything that he, uh, you know, that he says that he does. I mean, it was very, very, very easy. Um, I mean, Paul Joyce obviously helped, you know, incredibly in terms of making sure that I got the, got the, um, got it right. But you know what you do? These, you don't do those things for the money. You do them because they're just, they are, they are fascinating. You know, I mean, I'm a, I grew up, um, you know, in the middle of London and then I find myself sitting in a car on Ironside, a housing estate in Highton, just try to absorb what what Gerard went through growing up. Um, it was eye-opening. You know, and it was, but that's really important. You know, that's what you want in life. You want to be taken out of your comfort zone. You want to be challenged. You want to go to different places. You know, I mean, I'm in Iceland now and I'm itching to get outside and go and explore. I mean, I'm allowed out for a run every morning because I do a lot of running, but I just want to go and just get out and explore places and meet different people. And that is one of the joys of this job and anyone starting out, you know, there's so many qualities you need in this job. Um, Trust, you know, not sleeping that much, Uh, but curiosity. I mean, I, I'm, I sat there listening to Stephen Gerrard talk about what it was like in the dressing room at Istanbul in 2005 and who left the door open and could they hear the fans singing You'll Never Walk Alone and Rafa's, you know, that amazing speech. And I, I think I went into one of the, the, the bars. I don't want to say I go into a lot of bars, but this was for, for research. It was a pub, might have been the answer. One of those great pubs near... Um, um, sorry, the flat iron. What, what, one of the you'll probably know it's one of the really good pubs near um, near Anfield. Flat iron, flat iron makes sense. Yeah. It's the flat, flat iron. iron. Yeah, one of one of them has got the uh, you know Rafa's words from half time you know on the wall there. Um, I love all that detail. I love you know I, mean, I was privileged to write or help Kenny Dalglish write two of his books, and that was an absolute privilege talking and listening to a player who I can remember in the playground at school in, in, in London, everyone wanted to be Dalglish, you know, and that, that chant, Dalglish. And just sort of sitting there, I'm not in awe of, of, of people. I just have huge respect for people like Gerard and, and Dalglish and John Barnes. We're talking about the Liverpool players. I've also done Michael Carrick and, and written other books. Um, but just people, you know, the background that they've, they've come from, how they've fought their way up, that dedication. And you know what I found in, in life? The people who are at the top are often the nicest. I mean, Kenny Dalglish is one of the, the, the funniest, just funniest guys you will ever meet. Brilliant sense of humour. Gerard, you know, you meet, I haven't seen Gerard for a year or so, but he will always, we bump into each other at St George's Park when he was doing his pro licence, whatever. He will always say, how's the family? Just a really, really, really good guy. Michael Carrick, the same, one of the most down-to-earth people you can meet. John Barnes, brilliant. You know, I mean, when I, when I grew up and I was watching... Well, I was probably what some mid twenties when John Barnes was sort of doing a lot of his his, his great football at, at at Watford, then at Liverpool. 
I, I never thought when I was watching him play like that, that one day I would um, spend the night asleep in his wardrobe. Um, I stayed, I started writing the book with him and I stayed the night and um, he basically had a spare room, which was full of all his clothes and they had all the famous suits that he used to wear or he still does. And uh, it was a little bit like sort of walking on the beach at Blackpool with all the sort of, you know, the lights going off of, over John's suits. And, you know, that's what you want. I hate the idea of getting up in the morning and know what I'm going to do during the day. I love things. I like being sort of ambushed. I like different things to uh, happen. And that's why this job is just, it's, for me, it's the best job in the world. Probably the best job in the world is being a footballer. But, being, but, but this, this opportunity to go around the world, to meet extraordinary people, to sit and listen to, to Doug Leach. I mean, everyone always asks about, you know, quite rightly, you know, Doug Leach and his reaction to Hillsborough. He's, he's just heroic reaction to, to, to Hillsborough. And just talking to him about that, it was, I knew this was going to be the most important chapter in the book. And just listening to him, because, and I knew it was a subject that he had to be in the right mood because of the, the importance of what he was going to say, because I knew the families would read it, because I knew that so many people who'd called it wrong, people in the South, politicians, um, journalists as well, that Dalglish's testament in that chapter, the Hillsborough chapter, was so important that I had to get right. And I was very aware that I couldn't cock up. I had to, I just had to sort of listen, prompt, make sure I'd done all the research so I could just mention certain things which he would then go back to and, and talk. And he talked, and really all I had to do was put the, 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 the I would have two tape recorders on. And then everything that went, I didn't even change one word, Everything was just him talking from the heart. Um, and it was about 9,000 words and certainly one of the, you know, the strongest part of the book. And, it, you know, you come out of that and you immediately check the tapes. Is it, is the tape fine? And then you just realize, you know, what a privilege it is to be able to almost be at the most important part of the telling of history and the most important part of the, the retelling of a, such an important part of uh, this country in the 20th century, uh, as well as, you know, so important for the city, for the club, um, that, you know, that's an honour. So to be able to do things like that is, 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 is a privilege. But yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I've read the book. I can, you can tell that it definitely came across that way for sure. I mean, um, before we finish, I, let, I know you haven't got much places to go, but I'm still, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, <laughs> that, that, you mentioned earlier about, you know, where, where the industry's going and obviously a lot of universities now have to meet these degrees and people are coming through and I, the re, one of the reasons I've set this podcast up is because a lot of young people sometimes come to me and ask what, what any advice or how do we go about breaking into it is there anything particular obviously it's, that's such a wide ranging question but just anything that you think someone should be doing if they are looking to do you know if they want to become the chief football correspondent of the times in 10-15 years uh, or whatever it is is there anything that you think they should be doing or just a couple of little tips here and there yeah, give it more 15 years to 10 years, please. Just give me a little bit of a chance to, <laughs> to finish off. No, look, when, I, when I started in 85, I mean, I came out of university, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I, I've, the job I've got now is what I wanted since I was sort of 13, 14. But it's, it's not changed so much in terms of its persistence. I walked up and down Fleet Street knocking on doors saying, are there any openings, any opportunities? I was fortunate that the independence, you know, was, was, was starting up. 
Um, it's not that much different now, except that you don't have to wander up and down Fleet Street. You know, tweet journalists, say, um, and then and then email news editors. Be curious. Be, I mean, if you're going to write to say a sports editor, find out in advance who the um, say the sports editor of the Times or the Guardian, Telegraph, Mail, whoever. Find out in advance what team they support. And then if you, if you then send an email, it's not difficult to find out um, journalists' email. They're pretty generic. Um, just say, oh, say, whichever sports editor it is, say it's a Charlton Athletic fan, just start off with, dear so-and-so, you know, good luck with the takeover. You know, um, you know I've always admired Charlton as a club. That, first, it breaks the ice. Secondly, the, uh, the sports editor will take that on a human approach. Also, you'll know immediately this guy's done his research. You know, guy, I want to say guy, I mean, um, female journalist, male journalist who's, who's breaking through. Um, so do your search. Be nice. I mean, whenever you go to a training ground, being at first, you should be nice anyway. I mean, you know, <laughs> two most important things in life are you know, work hard and be nice to people. But if you go into a, a training ground and you're just chatting maybe to a physio or someone in reception, maybe the receptionist, that receptionist could be, you know, particularly in the mad world of football, could be chief executive in, in four or five years' time. So build up contacts, build up relationships and change headlines. I mean, I know I'm in a fortunate position. I'm at the Times. I'm an old fart. I've been doing it for a long time. I can stamp my feet. But if you're not happy with a headline, which has got then your name underneath it, whether it's online, whether it's in print, whether it's uh, the start of a, a podcast or a television uh, show or a trailer that, you, that someone's put out on social media, change it. Because I'll tell you what, the players will look at that. They'll look at the headline and go, well, that wasn't quite what I said. And they won't actually necessarily absorb what was in the, uh, in the article. So stand your ground, be, be principled. I know it can be difficult starting up, you know, maybe some certain corners have to be cut and sacrifices have to be made, but, but just be curious. I mean, I'm really nosy. I can sit next to someone on a train and within five minutes, I want to know their life story. I want to know what makes them tick. Um, I don't want to really talk about ironic talking about this, but I don't, not that particularly bothered talking about myself, but I, I'm really interested in what other people from different backgrounds, different, different countries. I mean, I do it. I mean, it sends my kids mad. If I'm, if I'm in a shop, I will automatically ask the shop assistant, where are you from? You know, if, if they're obviously, you know, they, so they, I could tell they've got an accent that um, it was from, I don't know, from wherever. And I want to partly because I've been to these countries, I've been all over um, I've been fortunate to be all over the world and I want to know more about them. So be curious, be respectful, trust, trust you can lose so easily. It takes a long time to build up and quick time to, to lose. But ultimately, as in, you know, whether you're doing a successful podcast, whether you're, you know, you're me and you just love going around covering matches, whatever you do in life, it's about the hours you put in. It's about the work ethic. If I look around the press box, I won't necessarily see that, you know, the best writers in the country, the best necessarily the best sports writers in the country, but I will certainly see the hardest working. Brilliant. And I'll, uh, I'll end it there, Henry. Thanks so much for your time again. I just right. sent an email. That's how this happened. I sent an email to the football correspondent of the, of the Times and managed to get an interview. So thanks so much for your time. Um, I think you tweeted me first, didn't you? I tweeted you first and then sent an email. I did. That's correct. There you go. You see, that's, that's how you do it. So that is how, you know, what was that, a week ago? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and so anyone who's listening to this on the podcast, you know, journalists, it's right. You know, it's, we're in a communication industry. Um, so yeah, look, podcasts, absolutely brilliant. I, I'm behind the curve with podcasts. I should get into them more. I mean, I do a lot for other people, but I should do one myself, but um, maybe that's the next plan. But anyone who's starting out, it's an absolutely brilliant career. I know it's travel looks difficult at the moment, but that will ease. And I think what the last six months has shown is the importance of journalism, the power of journalism, calling government to account, just interviewing immunologists. And even in my final thing, I'll say, even in my tiny world as a football reporter, as chief football writer of the Times, over the last six months, I have talked to governments. I've talked to obesity experts. I've obviously the whole uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole sort of issue of diversity on top of, sadly, because I have to cover it, the issues that uh, England's black players have had in Montenegro and Sofia. Um, all these issues. So if you think you're just going to go in and write about Harry Kane's finishing, then in a way this job's not for you. Just, I think it's amazing that I can write about obesity, diversity, uh, education, uh, facilities, grassroots, um, so many issues, poor politicians, good politicians. So it is uh, it's far broader than I expected when I came in thinking that I was going to be writing about Kevin Keegan's volume technique. You, you end up by showing your age again there, Henry, as well. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> people only remember Kevin Keegan. Yeah, that was when he was the scoundrel. <laughs> I remember it more as a, as a manager. Um, thanks so much for your time, Henry. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast. And we'll see you all soon. Goodbye. Pleasure.